A marine heatwave is like an underwater bushfire that can't be extinguished. Vivid words from a letter sent by a group of concerned scientists to the federal government ahead of a projected marine heatwave that will affect the Southern Ocean this summer and will impact on the Great Southern Reef in particular. Now, the Great Barrier Reef, of course, gets tonnes of attention, but the Great Southern Reef is all but ignored. I'm about to talk to Scott Bennett. Scott is a marine ecologist and spokesman for a group of scientists known as the Great Southern Reef Research Partnership. And the the group has implored the feds to allocate more funding to this overlooked uh, reef, especially in the face of the heat onslaught that's coming. Scott's day job is a research fellow at the Institute of Marine and Antarctic Studies at the University of Tasmania. Scott, would you introduce us to the Great Southern Reef, please? G'day, Philip. Great to speak to you. The Great Southern Reef is, as you point out, Australia's unknown reef system. It's a interconnected reef that spans over 8,000 kilometres around the southern half of Australia. So from Kalbarri on the midwest coast of Western Australia, right around the southern coast, around Tasmania and up to the Queensland border. And it wasn't recognised as an entity until 2016. That's right. Somewhat paradoxically because, you know, around two-thirds of our of the country, of, of, of Australians live around this reef, yet we never really recognise the, you know, the amazing reef that's on our doorstep. And we've always considered these reefs sort of as, as individual reefs, you know, in, in our backyard of our local towns, but never considered them as an entity. But, in fact, when we looked into this, I mean, biologically and oceanographically, these reefs are absolutely interconnected right around uh, southern Australia. And it's much like the Great Barrier Reef is made up of, of over 2,000 uh, individual coral reefs that form that large entity. The Great Southern Reef is similarly made up of thousands of reefs that span right around southern Australia. But, that, of course, they're, they're temperate, aren't they, whereas the Great Barrier Reef is tropical. Yeah, that's right. These are temperate reefs. Um, and so the sort of habitat forming species that we have on them are quite different. Um, most iconically, we have our kelp forests uh, in the shallow waters and these kelp forests really largely define the distribution uh, of, of, of the Great Southern Reef. So they span, um, the same species of kelp span right around the southern half of Australia. And these uh, kelp forests are pretty important, aren't they, because they take in CO2 and produce oxygen. I didn't realise that it involves photosynthesis. Absolutely. So these kelp forests, much like our forests on land, are, you know, the lungs of our oceans, they're ex- extremely productive. And we have a, we're fortunate enough to have a few species of, of kelp and, and all of them are hugely productive. Probably the, the most significantly are, are the giant kelp forests that we get down in Tasmania and off, um, off, off southeastern Australia that can produce... Now, almost two tonnes of kelp per day around this time of year um, per hectare. You know, one hectare of reef can produce around two tonnes of kelp per day. They're just really vibrant ecosystems. So we're looking at the Amazon under the sea. That's right. 
And, and much like the Amazon, much like our rainforests on land, they also support a huge amount of biodiversity. So the Great Southern Reef is, truly is a, a, a global biodiversity hotspot across a whole range of taxa. Seaweeds is one of them, um, but also all of our little critters, um, invertebrate uh, organisms that live on the reef um, and, and sponges and a whole raft of organisms we have sort of the highest diversity of anywhere in the world, thousands of species. I understand that the biodiversity and the number of species is not only comparable but probably exceeds that of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, if you look at sort of really critical groups like our, our habitat formers, so as we know, the Great Barrier Reef is, is, is made up of corals. And coral species, we have around 450 hard coral species, 600-odd if you include the soft corals that make up the Great Barrier Reef. Like if we consider the dominant habitat formers of the Great Southern Reef, which are our seaweeds, we have upwards of 1,500 species of seaweeds that, that make up the Great Southern Reef. So it is truly comparable um, and, you know, highly diverse. I don't want to be vulgar and raise money as an issue, but what are the economic significances of the Great Southern Reef, Scott? It is an important point because the reef is, is important to to humans as well and for, for a variety of reasons. But one of those is its economic contribution or benefits to, to society. And, I mean, the most obvious sort of ways it benefits us are through industries such as, such as fisheries and tourism, for example. So, you know, the Great Southern Reef has some of Australia's most important wild fisheries in the country, things like rock lobster, hugely important across all our southern states uh, and other species like abalone as well hugely important um, and provide a um, really important source of seafood for local for Australians, but also a huge export industry as well for Australia. And so we've got crayfish, we've got abalone, and I didn't realise that abalone is the fourth biggest wild fishing industry in Australia, and of course it's also farmed. Yes, that, that's right. So you can farm abalone, and that's uh, also a really important industry much as is the wild uh, industry. So, you know, we have abalone divers that um, are out so all year round catching abalone right across southern Australia and it is a really important industry and really sought-after delicacy worldwide. And the two industries, rock lobster and abalone, are worth more than all the fisheries at the Great Barrier Reef, for heaven's sake. They are, are extremely valuable, uh, so... I think rock lobster may be the most valuable wild fishery. Um, and collectively, these two fisheries alone uh, are worth around uh, $900 million to the Australian economy and not just on beach price. So they are, they are truly val valuable, and that's, and that's just one industry. Well, now it's time for you to tell me about this underwater bushfire. Tell me about the marine heatwave on the way. Your listeners will be really familiar with heat waves on land, bushfires on land, and even and even in the sea, we're really familiar with the severe coral bleaching that we've had, um, particularly back in 2016, 2017, uh, El Nino years. And the same, absolutely the same applies for our, our temperate environments. And this year, um, you know, we've just been announced another El Nino year, and we have another marine heat wave on the way. And this year's heat wave is forecast to hit southeastern Australia the hardest. And so we're likely to see um, anomalous temperatures, so temperatures well above um, sort of our long-term summer maximum temperatures um, this summer, which can 
can be really devastating for our reef. I understand the Tasmanian waters have had a, a fluctuation bet- between 12 and 18 degrees for thousands of years. So this will be beyond the ability of uh, organisms to cope with. Yeah, that's right. So if we think about the marine environment, the organisms living in that environment are, are adapted. They're used to a really narrow band of temperatures. So as you point out, Tasmania, our reefs sort of fluctuate between around 12 degrees in, in winter to around 18 degrees in a normal summer. And throughout southern Australia, organisms have adapted to this really narrow band of temperature for not just thousands of years but millions of years in many cases. It's been a really stable environment and, and in southern Australia particularly so. And so when we get these marine heat waves, which sort of can cause temperatures, you know, around up to two, three, even five degrees above sort of what they're used to in summertime, species just can't cope. Tell me about the letter you and your colleagues have sent to the relevant minister, the environment minister and the climate change minister. What were you asking for? In this letter, we're really asking the government to to get behind the Great Southern Reef and help support uh, a national monitoring program uh, for the reef. The Great Southern Reef struggles in the sense that it it straddles a whole number of, a range of jurisdictions. It straddles five states and it also straddles state and territory waters. So some of your listeners may not be aware necessarily, but for up to five and a half kilometres off the coast, um, that's state jurisdiction and beyond five and a half kilometres becomes federal jurisdiction. And the Great Southern Reef spans these basically six jurisdictions, if you like, which means that it's no not anybody's want single responsibility to look after the Great Southern Reef as a whole. And as a, as a result, we have this really fragmentary approach to our sort of understanding and knowledge of the reef and we basically just have a complete um, blind spot in terms of a national monitoring program and how the ecosystem is changing over time. You're making a rather modest uh, request, $40 million to be spent over 10 years. That's chump change, really. It is a modest request for such a for such a large entity, um, but it's comparable to uh, the reef monitoring program on the Great Barrier Reef. But I guess at, at present day, we are so critically underfunded on the Great Southern Reef that even a comparable um, comparable funding to what is spent for the sort of integrated monitoring program of the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, would be a huge step forward for the Great Southern Reef. So uh, while modest, it would make a huge difference across southern Australia. Before I let you go, tell me about the East Australian current because that's uh, quite separate to the looming heatwave, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, they all these factors sort of interplay with each other. You know, in terms of our the marine heatwave this summer, I guess it's important for listeners to know that the marine heatwave comes on the back of this really strong background warming trend due to climate change. We also have the El Nino event this year, which sort of makes the um, likelihood of marine heatwaves more common. And we have this real change in oceanography um, across eastern Australia. And so we're seeing that eastern Australian current, which is is a warm current, and it flows poleward down the east coast of Australia, that current is pushing further down our coastline, um, bringing warm, low-nutrient waters further south, and that sort of really exacerbates these warm events uh, in eastern Australia. And Australia is actually unique in that sense because we have two 
of the poleward boundary current. So on our west coast, we have an analogous thing, the Lewin current, which runs down the west coast and across the south coast and has exactly the same features as the East Australian uh, current. And we're the only continent on the planet that has those two poleward flowing boundary currents. On behalf of countless seaweeds, the great kelp forest and all sorts of marine life, I thank you for coming on the program and telling us, well, warning us about what lies ahead. My guest has been marine ecologist Scott Bennett from the uh, University of Tasmania. Thanks, thanks, Scott. Next, another kind of heat, the human desire to warm ourselves up in soreness. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.